Hey everybody and welcome to the Evolution Exchange, a platform for thought leaders within the tech space to share some ideas on current topics or relevance to our community of technology and business followers. I'm Danielle, your host for today's session where we'll be discussing the topic of female leaders in product. In this session, you'll explore the world of product through the lens of women who run it as some of the most innovative technology companies in the region. Joining me for today's discussion are three thought leaders in the product space. We have Beverly Ho, ex-director, head of product of Sephora Asia, Lizzie Zhang, director of product at Ola Chat, and Samantha Shuttleworth, head of strategy and transformation at Construct Digital. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> so to start with, it would be great if each of the contributors could briefly introduce themselves. Um, maybe we could start with Lizzie. Sure. Hi, everyone. I currently work as the product director in Ola Chat. I lead the two teams of product managers and designers working on audio social application, uh, which feature multi-person real-time audio chat rooms. So uh, in other words, it's a casual version of Clubhouse. Uh, before that, I've been working in Indeed, uh, Rakuten Vicky uh, on a number of consumer-facing content, data, and uh, social products. So uh, really a pleasure to join today and uh, have a conversation with you guys. Yeah, great to have you here, Lizzie. And maybe we can move on to Beverly. Hi, everybody. My name is Beverly Ho. So I have a, a, a kind of a, a mix of uh, different experiences. And I used to live in North America for over 25 years before moving to Singapore about six years ago. So I have a technical background and I evolved into a product role throughout the years and have played many different roles within the um, product and and development as well as management space. Um, so uh, here, I am very excited to be here, you know, with uh, everybody talking about women in tech as well as some of the experience that we have gone through. So thank you and looking forward for the discussion. Yeah, good to have you as well, Beverly. And Samantha? Sure, thanks, thanks, Danielle. Uh, look, I'm your atypical product person. I've got over 20 years experience and I've been part of in-house product teams as well as strategy consulting and credit agencies. Um, I've worked end-to-end -end on launching physical and digital products and services, and that's been tech companies, startups, global 500s, and I've, I'm originally Australian, or oh, still am Australian. I've worked, moved from Melbourne to London to Singapore to Geneva and back to Singapore again, and I've literally done A to Z of industries, automotive through to zoos. So I'm quite new to my new role, my current role, Head of Strategy and Transformation at Construct Digital, and that's where I'm responsible for digital transformation for my clients and also the company, and that's across product and experiences, as well as marketing and also broader business transformation. But before I joined uh, Construct, I was at uh, Product Strategy Director at RGA, where the team was working on emerging technologies and products for APAC clients, and in that I was leading product discovery process. And I guess, yeah, of all the things I've done, I think one of the last things to add is that I did have my own startup consultancy, Calibrate M, which is currently dormant. And I set that up in Singapore to address the talent gap in product marketing and product strategy. And I felt that these were two really over overlooked and critical areas that support product innovation and commercialization. So some of the projects I got involved there was I was project lead for Carousel Singapore in launching their listing quotas. Uh, and I've also worked on in-house incub incubator programs for underbanked communities uh, across Southeast Asia with Experian. All right, yeah. Thank you everyone for the introduction. I'm super delighted to have you guys on this session and personally super excited to be hosting it. So let's get started. Um, yeah, we'll jump into the first question directly. 
I think um, I think all of us, I mean, I've basically speak to product managers all day and I realised that, you know, not many people have ventured into a product space based on like you know, academic or study history. I think it was only recently that some universities in Singapore have introduced courses related to product management. So, you know what, I would really love to hear, you know, how you guys moved into product, you know, were there any challenges that you guys have faced doing that? Or what is your experience like? Um, maybe we can start off with Lizzie. Uh, sure. So my academic background actually uh, involved journalism, statistics, and I did um, a master's degree in new, me- new media and communication. And after that, I was actually doing HCI research in uh, an NUS research lab, which is a uh, human-computer interaction research uh, before entering like professional product management. Um, but I found out that actually academia may not be the perfect job for me because of uh, slow pace and dissatisfaction uh, of not seeing the direct impact. So I start looking for opportunities of doing what's similar in the industry, it, it literally just about a user and a computer interface. Then uh, somehow, very fortunately, I end up with product management uh, in the internet. So uh, since I joined, I've been working on a number of zero to one uh, and one to uh, 100 product problems which is very satisfying. I think I find something I'm good at and I really enjoy doing and really tie back to what I, what, what I was studying and what I researched about um, like, like maybe uh, 10 or 11 years ago. Yeah, sorry. And Beverly? Sure, yeah, I can share next. Uh, so when I was in college, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I started with an economics degree and then I kind of stumbled into some math courses and computer science and I fell in love with it. And I was like, wow, logic is actually really cool. So that's how I got double degrees and got my computer science degree. That led me into a technical role. So I started actually as a software developer, but that wasn't good enough. I felt like there was something missing. I always wanted to understand what the user needs and what and why we, do we do the task that we're doing on hands. That led me into sort of a lifelong exploration and understanding of myself. So I played many different roles, kind of like choices by elimination. Then at some point, product management becomes something really crucial. But before that, it's all about problem solving in many ways. We're still trying to solve problems. We're trying to figure out what is the best things to build, trying to figure out what is the best ROI, what actually makes and delight customers. So with that in mind, that was always my goal. The role actually, the title may evolve, but ultimately I have always been trying to figure out how to solve the customer problem. That's how it got me into product management space and led me into different organization from consulting, then to zero to one product creation, then led me into Sephora where leading the team and creating a better e-commerce platform. So that's how I started. It wasn't a straight line and I kind of navigated left and right, right? I really enjoyed the journey and that makes me who I am today. Yeah, I think for other product managers I see now, it's never a straight line, right? I was saying recently that I only met one product leader that has started her first job in product management. So yeah, super interesting to hear how you guys got here. And Samantha? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm, yeah, like everyone here didn't actually, you know, study this. I fell into it by accident. My undergraduate degree is in environmental science uh, and I was doing river management in Southeast Asia. But when I graduated, it was the height of the Asian financial crisis, which, you know, most of the, most people won't remember, but that was not a great time to be doing river management for Southeast Asia. So I went into big bad management consulting. 
And I started out in a strategic marketing consulting firm where product just happened to be one of the four levers that are in control of businesses, you know, to, to generate growth and the others are being price and distribution and you know, marketing communications. So I spent 10 years there building strategies and demand forecasting models, actually. So I understood rivers. When you can understand river movement over time, you turn out to be pretty good at forecasting, it seems. Um, and I did that in Australia. But from there, I've been doing that for 10 years and I wanted to do more execution. So I moved to London. And the opportunities there were more in innovation and, and, and there you're working alongside R&D teams. So that just happened to be around the early 2010s and that was when digitization was ramping up and I just happened to be doing my executive MBA at the same time. So after I graduated there, I progressed to working with leadership teams to develop new digital business models for services like subscriptions and marketplaces, as well as the more conventional you know, website, buildings, website building and apps. And that's really what brought me to Singapore. Yeah, it's great to hear. And when that transition transition to product, did you find it to be pretty smooth or did you face some challenges doing that? I think in the early days in London, because I did actually, I don't have a lot of product roles in my product titles in my previous career history, but I did have product development and head of customer engagement uh, back in one of my London roles at procurement leaders. And I think it wasn't a problem back then because we had all of these ideas about how to grow the company, no one knew how to, to bring them to market. And I just happened to be, you know, that was my background. How do you launch products and services? How do you bring them to market? What are all the stakeholders you need? How do you bring, you know, things that don't exist before? And how do you create new revenue streams? So I had a pretty easy ride, I guess, from that perspective of, of coming into product. But the biggest barrier I've since faced, and oh God, I mean, this is still, you know, still transitioning, is overcoming the perception of technical experience. Uh, and I look, I can, if you let me, I just, I really push back on that. And I, it's not to discredit anyone who does have technical experience, because I think it's super valuable. But the only reason you need someone with technical experience at a certain depth, of, you know, as a product manager, to me, is if you don't trust your team of engineers. And if you look at the reasons why products fail in the market, it's not really a lack of technical expertise that's that's the cause. It's things like, you know, the ability to understand the marketplace or how you compete in it. It's the ability to unspot, just spot those unmet consumer needs or pain points, or it's the ability to understand your broader stakeholders, both in your organisation and beyond, that, you know, provide different points of view or when, you know, how do you manage their conflicting interests? Because the challenge is if you don't understand all of those things, then crafting and building a product that solves the technical problems and really delivers something that's going to be compelling value for both the business and the customer becomes really hard. And you don't necessarily, technical experience helps, but there should be other people on your team to do that. Yeah, so Beverly, coming from a technical background, do you agree with that? And also, did you face, I see a lot of engineers and you know, software developers move into product. I also want to hear your thoughts on you know that transition. Um. I think it's a blessing and a curse, you know, sometimes I think if people take the face value when you're a product role, they will assume that you may or may not know technical background. They would probably not include you in some of the technical discussions. So there were organizations that I was be part of when I was building a product, being part of the product team. Then I would be in some of the deep dive discussion, which helps me to prioritize, especially when the product is very technical. However, when it's more to commercial facing consumer needs and space, then it doesn't, we don't need to go down to the technical details, but we should understand why they make those decisions. Why do you choose this technology versus that technology? What are the limitations and potential using certain technology? Having that understanding, it's good enough to make 
uh, some really critical decisions. Of course, you always have to collaborate and feedback and closely working with the engineers and development team to get feedback, whether your assumption is correct, you know, whether um, to identify what is worth the build, it's other than the customer need, it's also the effort to building it. So as long as you can get that information, doesn't matter if you were a developer or not, there is some advantage, you know, that's that sometimes you could ask better questions um, to un uncover, uncover some unspoken assumptions. Now that That isn't a requirement. That would be an advantage in some cases, but that wasn't always the case, I would say. So it's it sometimes is a blessing and a blessing and a curse because if you have that background, they may also have other assumptions uh, and expectation from you as a product person that, oh, you should know this is going to take a long time to build, for example. You should not be asking for this, for example, right? But we can always think outside the box and find other work around, deliver those values. And, and was the transition from an engineer into product something that you found to be a challenge? It was. Because people would not want to hire you, right? If you have only technical background. So how do you identify opportunities in order to do that type of projects or experience? So kind of roll up your sleeve, be a volunteer, get in, involved into different topics so that you into discovery of a product, for example, or into other aspects, say user research. Maybe your role doesn't really require that, but doesn't let the role constrain what you can add value to um, the whatever stages that your product is in, demonstrate that you have the ability to organize, to, to tell compelling stories, to, to lead the team, to create that product vision or co-create product vision or ask good questions to challenge the status quo. That would then put you in the front line for uh, into a potential product space. Okay, that's very interesting to hear. And I think, onto Lizzie, I think most, aside from engineering, I think the, right. the most profiles that I see are people that move from being an analyst into going into products. So I would love to hear your experience and challenges into For moving sure. into like that. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm the one who don't have an engineering background. I'm almost right. I feel like uh, definitely there is a certain kind of expectation when uh, you are coming from a like academic background without engineering uh, kind of specialty, they will assume you don't understand uh, what they are talking about. And they, they kind of uh, also assume that you're gonna give a lot of like a business direction, a business decision and pushing toward what they you want them to do. But on the other hand, I feel like engineering is more about the way of thinking, not just uh, about knowledge, because knowledge is always limited, but the way of thinking help you to extend your understanding, extend your say um, scope to be able to help uh, help engineer and also help your team to uh, achieve something bigger so I uh, so there was a certain time because I was uh, I, I don't have engineering background there was a certain period I was super into uh, getting into the technical discussion I really want to understand like what they are talking about so uh, later on I received a suggestion it's really good that you are into the technical background uh, discussion but on the other hand like uh, you don't need to uh, involve yourself too much into the details, right? So because you still have like a, you need to make the high level decision. Somehow, uh, I start to understand like being a product leader is about uh, understand a little bit piece of uh, everything involved in building a product from user research, from design, from engineering. But you don't need to be expert in every every uh, domain. Uh, 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 but 
always be、uh, speaking their language always helps. So this is how I feel like I build rapport with the team I work with, and also provide some help they need, and provide some advice、uh, that from other domain they are not familiar with. Yeah, and I think adding on to that, it's interesting to hear everyone's stories. That you know, we've all faced different barriers and challenges, but maybe in some, when you're in an organisation where you're doing what they hired you to do, and they can kind of see that you would stretch into other roles, you do get that. You know, those opportunities might come up. You know, I wouldn't have done for product development if I hadn't been in the right place at the right time. But I think when you've got so when you've got startups, it's very easy to get involved in that. But when you've got more established companies, and then they've got their long list of, of you know job description that they want, and you know, this is getting into gender stereotypes. But when if you know looking through the list of specifications and requirements, it's about box ticking exercise. And you know, can you do this? And do you do this? And you know, as much as they say women don't, you know, feel that they have to tick all of the boxes, I certainly don't. But then I'll be pulled up on every single thing that I haven't ticked. So I think that when you're looking for you know a more experienced product person. And it's 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 easy to get into maybe the junior roles where you can move in adjacently, but to get into the more experienced ones, actually, you know, each of us could have really relevant experience and be a fantastic senior PM, but you won't get picked because you know this is an HR challenge. All they're looking for is that particular person who fits these different types of responsibilities, and they won't look adjacent. They just want that. So the, the perception is it's really hard to find good senior product people. And it's actually maybe it's not. Maybe it's because we're not looking in the right places for them. Yeah, so I was a part of the recruitment process, so I do understand where you're coming from. I think after being here for a couple of years, I realized that it's not just about the JD, right? I think product is so much more. I think the functions also include kind of being the glue for the whole team, and it's not just about what you can do on paper, right? It's also how you are as a person, whether you fit in with you know the founders, the CEOs, you know the, your your product team, your engineering team. Can you collaborate with them? Yeah, so that also brings us on to our next question, which is you know like how do you define your responsibilities in your current role? You know,、um, I think collaboration is something that is definitely one of the top functions of a product manager, helping helping to drive you know teams like design and product together to work closely together to form to push out a more I guess effective product. Yep. So how do, what do you guys define as your I guess key responsibilities, and how do you guys go about doing this collaborating your teams? Um, yeah, I can start. So、uh, as a product leader, I feel like it's very much similar to the role of a pilot on a boat. So it's very important to、uh, pro- provide direction and guidance、uh, to your team and the teams,、uh, even some of the team you can influence、um, to minimize the ambiguity for your team and teams. Even when you are navigating your the ambiguity yourself, and、uh, very important to constantly process information, make decisions. And also shield the noise、uh, from your team,、uh, which I find out very important.、Um, and de- also, depending on organization structure, sometimes the product leader is also required to step in and fill the gaps in the execution and save the day when the time comes. So、um, you don't have to be hands-on every day, but when the time comes and you are the only one could do something, then you need to、uh, step up and do something. Um, yeah. So、uh, when collaborating with other teams, I always、uh, want to first, firstly,、uh, understand their OKRs and their day-to-day pain points. And、uh, first of all, I want to max- maximize our alignment in a goal. Well,、uh, understand where they come from, right? So、uh, sometimes they make points really just not from the like OKR that that they're working toward, just from the everyday frustration they are handling. 
So I really want to understand both their goals and their everyday uh, like pain points. And also, I encourage my team member to build a clo- close collaboration uh, with stakeholders and uh, try to be a problem solver, not a bottleneck, right? So uh, doing that will help you to gain a lot of the brownie points later on. You will definitely use uh, in our day-to-day collaboration. So it also helps them to uh, uh, do their job uh, with stakeholders, which I also find more helpful. Yeah, mm-hmm. is, uh, what I see um, being a product leader and how, how to build a collaboration with my teams. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think to, to add on, on a day-to-day basis, as a product leader, you need to be very clear what is the North Star. When we have a setback, you have to have um, good res- resilience to kind of focus on what matters. Like, for example, if you have an experiment and do a POC or a product that needs to be killed, you need to be able to convince the team that this is the right thing to do because morale is going to be hit. How do you recover from that? How do you lead the team to recover from those setbacks? It's really crucial as a product leader. As a product manager, the skill sets could be relatively different because you will be focused a lot more on the detail, detail spec. You know, you look at very detailed KPI. You know, for example, on this page, can you uplift the certain KPI? Can you bring more customer to the search page or, or, or checkout page and so forth? But as you grow as a more senior product leader, then your horizon will expand. You will look at maybe overall customer experience. You will look at how to manage stakeholders, how to make people happy, not just the customer, but also the business stakeholders so that you continue to have the runway. You continue to be able to influence what is the right thing to build as a customer advocate. And, and as, as, as people moved up the ladder in product management, then you'll probably find yourself further away from the actual product development and much more in stakeholder management and the roadmap building and the vision of probably the organization development. You may have to restructure the team. You may have to think about what's next and how to scale or maybe what new vertical needs to build. So the skill set actually changes a lot. And as a product, product person, you sort of continue to learn like, a lot of the tech role, uh, no difference in that ways. Yeah, and building on Beverly, they've got she's got great experience in working in in one company. I've come from a consulting background, so sometimes my projects might last a couple of weeks through to a year. So it's for me, it's constantly changing, and have to go in. Okay, well, what's the what's the level of maturity on this product? Are we dealing with something that's going to be new to market? Is it mature? Is it during retirement? You know, I look at things like portfolio management as well. You know, which we should be investing in why and where are the resources needed. But I think, you know, what's taught me from consulting days is that good collaboration really depends on a couple of factors that the, that the others have brought up. And that's, you know, clearly defined goals and objectives up front, whether they're OKRs or something else, you know, just having those goals. I think having that North Star, you know, what's your product vision? What's the single metric that can define success for this project? And making sure that the teams don't have conflicting KPIs. That's usually where you'll see things coming unstuck because one team's trying to achieve something, another team has got the other, and actually that doesn't ladder up to what that North Star should be. I think having yeah, clearly defined roles and responsibilities, you know, coming in as a project lead, it's just it's when you've got a new team, it's like, okay, what do you do? What are you really good at? What do you enjoy? These are things I have to sit down and understand in a really short period of time. And it's really important that you build up trust. So especially if I come in as an outsider, so I've got to be able to trust that the team can get the job done. They've got to trust that I can do it, but we've also got to trust each other. 
And I think, you know, yeah, part of that Beverly mentioned is that getting that product vision and you know, I'm a product strategist. So this is really crucial to get it done as is, you know, once you've got your product vision set, then, okay, let's get into the product strategy. Let's understand your market, your customers, your competitors, your product, what are all the, the benefits and features that we want? And let's get that into a roadmap and really think clearly about how we can bring that to market. Um, and on top of all of that is, yeah, what Beverly mentioned exceptional stakeholder management. This is something that's really hard to do and, and, uh, I get asked by a lot of junior PMs or aspiring PMs about, you know, how do you do good stakeholder management? And, you know, there's tips and tricks and tools you can use to do that. But a lot of it actually comes with experience. Like you've got to understand, you know, how to read the room and how to understand, you know, influencing people. And, and it's not an easy task and it really is a soft skill. But ultimately, I think, you know, where you see great product collaboration is when you've got teams that are empowered to you know operate autonomously. They're not just feature sheet delivering a list of requirements or what the highest paid person in the room tells them to do. They've got decision-making abilities and they know how that, you know, at the end of the day, what they're doing is creating value for both the business and, and the end user they're designing for. Yeah, thanks for the insight, guys. I think, uh, on, I mean, on that note, I wanted to kind of understand also how it's like to be a female leader in product. Um, do you guys face any challenges managing teams? I know all of you have managed teams before or are managing teams re- in Singapore and remotely. And I would love to hear your challenges face or, you know, any advice you guys have for people who are stepping up into a management position as a female. Oh, God. I'll start. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing here. It's just like, oh, you know, where do you start? And it's not just, look, it's, I mean, I think it's, you know, female leaders in general sometimes. It's not just product. I mean, you know, where do you start? You know, what's the culture fit when you're the only woman in the room? I mean, fortunately, I'm old enough and experienced enough now to not put up with it. I will, you know, speak up and speak out. And when there's inappropriate behaviour or comments, just really, you know, put a stop to them. And it's, but when you're a junior, you know, you don't know that. I've seen some atrocious things, you know, said and, and whispered behind closed doors about, you know, female colleagues. And, you know, it's not the time and place for it. But, you know, being a mother, being a parent, I think that's really hard, you know, as well. But if you put the gender stereotypes aside, I still think that that perception of technical experience that, you know, if you're not an engineer or a female engineer, then then that's, you know, being a barrier. Um, but, you know, I've, I've talked about that before. And I think the the one thing that has had to be overcome um, and it's it's a weird one, but profitability. I mean, this is a cultural fit issue that I found. And I've been working with tech companies now for, what, 15 years. And I came from a world where products and services have to be commercial. They have to generate revenue. They have to be profitable or they're killed. You know, we it was just a given. So when I came to talking to tech companies about what I could do for them, I was just surprised that the tech industry, I mean, not so much now, but it used to be so awash with cash and investments. Uh, the companies I'm talking to weren't focused on commercialization. And that's, you know, the solution was, you know, build it, ship it, learn from your mistakes, don't think about what should be built in the first place. So if you're the only female in the room and the only one from a non-technical background and you're talking about profitability, you really stand out. And, you know, that's that's a trigger. It's not, you know, oh, wow, this person has a different point of view and it's what we need and let's focus on profitability. It's more like, you know, this person doesn't, doesn't belong here. So that's, yeah, that's been a, a challenge and I think it should be changing now and we see in the current economic crisis, but certainly it's it's things that I experienced in the past. You, you, just, you just don't seem to fit because you've got a different perspective. Do you think that has been better over the, over the recent years or is it still an ongoing problem? Uh, <laughs> I'll let the others answer that. <laughs> um, I used to work for a startup where we had body people 
on the team in that location. I was the only female for two years. Um, it's actually quite daunting when you're uh, the only female in, in the room. There were some expectations of, you know, you would you'll be kind, uh, especially in Canada, you will be kind. And if you are trying to speak up or you have a point of view, people get surprised. Oh my God, what angry. No, I'm not angry. I'm just trying to make a point like, like a normal, you know, um, tech person. So sometimes the perception of what people, how women should behave, does block us from our potential. And I practiced it many years, read a lot of books and even went to speak therapy to actually understand how do I speak in a professional manner, but not aggressive. Because how do you balance between nice and aggressive as a woman leader is actually really difficult. I was also actually a consultant for over 10 years. So when I first go in as a consultant, people thought I was really young and really hard to set the stage. So over the years, I have to find my own way to set up that stage very quickly to establish that credibility. It was be so uncomfortable to tell people how good I am, what I've done. But sometimes that is needed in order to break that class, in order to, to set up the stage so that your life will be better, so that people actually understand what you could provide, you could add value. Then they could trust you in a much shorter period of time. So I think everyone has their own style. You do have to figure out what's the right tone, read the room, understand that culture background. In North America, it's quite different. I would say that even Canada and, and U.S. are different. In, North, in, in the United States, people speak a lot faster, a lot more assertive, and things are a little bit more, I would say, that the adjective will be different. You need to say you're great. your day was great, not just good to begin with, for example. Those are cultural differences. You need to know what adjective to use, you need to know how to set the stage so that people believe in you, that you fit into the room. I, I would totally agree with um, Samantha here. If you don't understand that differences, you will fail no matter where you go. In Southeast Asia, let's say in in, um, in Thailand or maybe Malaysia, um, you, people would expect you to be more kind and, and more subtle. But when you're in Australia, you people expect you to be right to the point. Just, just go, you know, just, just be quick, you know, be concise. So you need to know how to communicate so that you get the the best outcome. So it may not be just tied to women, but women tends to be have a softer communication style. That when things become a little bit harder, Lizzie, I think you're on mute. Oh, sorry. Sometimes I feel like the stereotype about female leader not. Uh, just negative. Sometimes even it's about your strengths. Uh, I find sometimes people see me as empathetic or more detail-driven or system systematic and analytical. Uh, it truly relate to my gender as well as the vibe I give out. Uh, but I also acknowledge those like uh, those could be some of my strengths. Mm, but I do I do have more to bring up to the table, right? And also female was also assumed to be less ambitious and less aggressive. So uh, it turned out sometimes I find in, in the middle of my career, I was given out uh, certain roles and responsibilities, which not very uh, interesting to me. 
So me personally really enjoy you know, navigating the uncharted water and uh, with technical innovation and a lot of zero to one launches. So, um, but sometimes I find out I have to step up and strive for the op- opportunity that I really want, right? I have to be vocal about that. Uh, but also uh, I find out I don't have to be uh, uh, act like a certain way to fulfill or even rebel about the stereotype people assume about me. I just did do it in my own way and achieve the equal, even better result uh, some male leader can achieve. So this is something I find out. And, but on the other hand, I find it's uh, sometimes I have to balance things, like things that I'm really interested in doing. And also on the other hand, fulfill some expectation that other people assume because assume uh, me be a female leader, I should have the strength to do something. And ha- I, I, I take a flattering uh, comment, but I also want to uh, I, I love to offer my help to do that, but also I want to uh, have a balance of things I really want to do and uh, maybe fulfill the gender stereotype uh, strength expectation at the same time, which I find very interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah. Thanks for interesting. I think it's always differing from different women that I ask, right? But I think what stands out is you just have to be assertive, right? You got to know what you want and you got to chase that and not let anyone's opinion put you down. I actually want to just cut in and ask a question from one of our listeners. I think it seems pretty relevant to the question we're covering now. And basically she's asking, you know, does attitude towards female leaders differ in different regions? I think you guys all have worked apart from Singapore elsewhere, right? And, and what do you think about this particular question? Yeah, I can, Amy, start. can start. Yeah, you have been <laughs> yeah, the I think, um, yeah, I think I think it does. And um you know, in in across Asia, it does depend on on, on the culture. You know, I'd, I'd say that Singapore is pretty decent with with female leaders, except for the fact that you start looking at the statistics and it's like, well, hang on, female leadership is actually woeful. And then you get, you know, oh, but you know, our president is female. It's like, well, yeah, she is or she was, but it still doesn't raise the issue that there's, you know, there is a a gap here in in, in female leadership. And you know, I don't think the you know, how, you know, how do they differ? I think across the regions, you know, we're facing a, a shortage of, of female talent and senior roles. Um, you know, I've been in, in London and Switzerland and, you know, I won't speak, I'll let the others speak about, you know, maybe some of some of the Asian perceptions as well. But even in Switzerland, I found it quite remarkable that um, the attitude towards female leaders is, first of all, if you're a female working, you know, female participation is really low. So it's like, you know, why aren't, it's paternalistic society. Why aren't you looking, you know, staying at home, looking after your children? And even I was working from Switzerland to Singapore um, during the pandemic. And, you know, the attitude was, well, why would you, why would you want to work in Switzerland? Your husband can support you. And it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> why? I've, I've got more qualifications than him. Why wouldn't I want to work? So I did find that really interesting. But it wasn't just about leadership. It was actually about participation in the workforce in the first place. Uh, so yeah, it can it can stagger and surprise, I guess. Yeah, I worked with the, the U.S. company and I actually Chinese internet company. I find it's very interesting. Actually, I don't find uh, a very general uh, difference uh, between like a uh, Chinese company and U.S. company their attitude to a, a female leader. But on the other hand, I do find like the in the Chinese internet company they do assume that you are. The same, you will do exactly the same. The male leader will deliver. They don't consider a lot of like uh, responsibility you have to fulfill in your family and uh, like your uh, like as a female, what kind of thing you want to achieve. So they just assume that you will deliver whatever uh, your 
male counterpart will do. But in the U.S. company, they do uh, talk about work-life balance and a special uh, like uh, situation in female leader. What you need to do. So this is something I find interesting, and I don't assume like advantage and disadvantage because uh, in certain like really depends on like particular opportunity, a particular context. It could be something part play against you or uh, like really uh, uh, like favorable toward you. So this is something I uh, I observe. And from from my end, I think it's a mix. There were certain times that the, usually in the United States we talk about gender balance a lot, diversity a lot. But by talking it a lot, that may just means that the problem is still there. That's why we kept talking about it in a very formal manner. In Southeast Asia, we don't talk about it as much, and perhaps it's also because I work at Sephora. Sephora has so many women leader in the organization because of the industry. But when I was in Southeast Asia, leading the e-commerce technical product team, I was actually the most senior woman in the group. And I was told when they recruit me, it's like you will be the most senior woman. That's good and bad. That just means that in the technical world and digital product space, we're still a lot less women in comparison to the rest of the industry. So there is still work to be done. There's still an encouragement that we can do to the younger generation that they could do more. Maybe at a younger stage, they were told that, "Oh, you're very good at organization. You're very good at X, Y, Z. Maybe you should consider these different fields." Uh, but I, I think there, there are、um, women and or men. We all have different potentials, and I think、um, gender do play in a role that how maybe even parents could influence、um, their their decision making.、Um, so to summarize it, I say I would say that I do see a subtle differences in the different region how. People treat women leader, but perhaps a company culture takes actually a bigger role. Whether they promote it, whether they they formally kind of kind of encourage a more diversity, encourage female, even in salary salary、um, and their opportunity into different of、uh, different different roles. If they are really fair about about how they select candidates and make sure they don't have biases when when they select candidates, I think that is more important than the region itself. Yeah, and I, I mean that the the bias is really interesting. That it does come through, you know, in, even in recruitment practices. And、um, you know, I'm quite stunned that it's legal to ask someone, you know, do you have children, you know. Are you married? You know, do you have? I mean, in my case, you know, do you have a helper? And it's kind of seen as like, oh yeah, tick, we can hire this person because they've got a helper, and they're not going to be one of those unreliable mothers who don't turn up to work. And you know, I, I ask my male friends, do you know, do you ever get asked this question? They're like, no, why would I be asked that? I'm like, yeah, why would you be asked that? And it, it's kind of interesting. And even when you go to to women forums, it doesn't matter where it is in the world. You know, one of the questions that's asked of female leaders is, you know, how do you balance motherhood and working? And you know, I've got some friends in gender diversity who actually, you know, ask that in in male-oriented conferences. Ask the male leaders, how do you balance, you know, being a working parent and working? And they're just like, you know, it's like what, what? 
And I kind of think it's one, it's, it's kind of interesting that we ask that of females, but we don't ask that of males. So, you know, there's a lot of little biases that are inherent in, in the way in which we assign gender roles to people, even if we're not particularly conscious that we're doing it. Yeah, to add yeah. on, we touch on, if we touch on uh, being a parent, the, the Southeast Asia has changed a little bit. I've seen organizations started to have not just maternity leave, but also you know, parental leave. So the father could actually take some leave, but they still take a lot less, maybe two weeks to six weeks is the max. So that actually put the burden into onto the mother to kind of fill that gap and being that um, main core um, caretaker in many ways. Perhaps naturally that's the way, but I think there's probably room to grow at least make it a choice for the parent to decide whether the father would you know more leave and, and take care of, of, of young kids if, if that's the case um, and I, I think the industry has a lot more to do to, to move forward to truly create a, a diversity and gender gender equality yeah, I think, trust me, as a recruiter, I do hear people, clients do ask me, like, you know, what's the situation with the family? Or, you know, like, oh, they just had one child, are they going to have another one? Like, it's not my my problem to ask, and I shouldn't be ask, having to ask you guys this. Like, it's just based on whether you're qualified for the job, right? So, it, it still happens now, unfortunately. I would hate to say it, but it does happen now. I'm, unfortunately, I do my best not to ask it. Actually, I don't, I don't actually ask it, to be fair. Like, I feel like that's just really unfair. Um, I'm supporting women all the way. Um, yeah, but I also really like what Beverly said on, you know, taking charge of, you know, I guess kind of just taking charge of yourself, you know, learning the ways to be, no, kind of like express yourself better in a way that, and, and not care about what people think about you or what stereotypes about women are, which is why I really like. And I also do think that female leaders do bring something else to the table. There are other qualities that we do bring that I think that are much more beneficial, okay, not much more beneficial, but beneficial as well into teams um, which is why I want to pose the, the question to you as well and what do you th- think are the unique strengths you know that women bring into product management you know and how can organizations leverage on that uh, again to really relate back to the gender stereotype <laughs> but uh, yeah since it's raised but I think uh, from my perspective I feel like personally I'm observant and empathetic. Actually, I'm quite sensitive about people's feeling, their ambition, and what you want to achieve, and uh, potential challenge they may feel. So, for example, if I observe some someone, uh, some my team member become a little bit quiet or a bit down, I probably uh, will connect dots and uh, see what actually in their job may lead to that. Um, I, I, again, I don't assume it's a really a female leader, leader thing. I think male leader can be totally empathetic as well. Um, but since we are talking about that, I think maybe a uh, female do have a certain uh, like advantage to, uh, to, for example, be able to uh, build rapport with a stakeholder because you can actually feel uh, the be more empathetic about their uh, their goals and their uh, struggle. And on the other hand, it's also like you can support your team member uh, better on their like career development and offer help when they are not vocal about it. This is something I find actually uh, uh, could really help the team and organization uh, with some of the gen- uh, say gender stereotype female characteristics. 
Yeah, I think from you know, my perspective, you know, it might be a generalisation, but stop looking and recruiting for people based on their technical expertise only as a skills filter. You know, I've had a couple of interviews where it's just talking about technical skills and nothing about soft skills like stakeholder management and team leadership, which are really at the heart of a good project uh, product manager. Um, but yeah, if you want to look a bit more broadly, I mean, think about looking for evidence of strategy or research or customer success um, involvement or business case development. Like these are all solid skills that are directly transferable into product management. And if you've got actual, you know, disciplines, and I'd say product, uh, project management and data science, they're two really interesting fields that have got great transitions into to, to pro- product management if you know companies are, are willing to look beyond the, the boundaries. Uh, and they've got quite a good, you know, level of diversity compared to, say, like traditional engineering coming through computing science. Uh, to to add on, I would say it's it's not always just women, but in general, um, I think a, a good product leader would have very good listening skills, the ability to be objective, the ability to take crucial feedback, whether it's coming from the customer or coming from the team. Uh, whether it's coming from a stakeholder and balance it out and make the right call amount all those different contradicting feedback. It's what makes uh, a, a good leader, whether it is in product or any other field, I would say. Yeah, and I also completely agree with Samantha. I think I speak to product managers every day, right? I think it's really about the soft skills as well. You can have everything in your CV. You've done this, 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 but when you meet the person, he's the hardest person to work with, you know, he thinks that his ideas are the best or her ideas are the best, you know, and they don't change for anyone. In in, in actuality, you just need a really strong person who brings the team together, right? Someone who's a good leader, um, whether it's girl or guy, I guess it's just a soft skill they need to have. Um, yeah, so I think, I mean, thanks for sharing. I think there's a couple of questions that we have that I think a couple of our listeners have ans- has asked us. Maybe we could address a few. So I think the first one I want to just kind of... Um, Asked actually a question about what makes uh, a good product, what sets a good product manager apart from a great product manager. I think that's an interesting question. Um, what do you guys think about this question? I find the definition of great PM actually don't have to be uh, like only have one answer. There is multiple type of uh, uh, great PMs. Could be a great PM really deliver the business value for the stakeholder for the company, or could be a great PM like uh, jobs, right? Create great product innovative product. So it really depends on what kind of a great PM you want to be. You want to be a, like uh, someone uh, with great craftsmanship and building something really significant or you're actually trying to deliver great business value. So you, you need to ask yourself, you want to uh, also like what, what particular type of a PM you want to do, right? You want to be a, maybe you'll say a more SaaS product manager or like a more consumer facing product manager. You need to, First, uh, ask yourself what kind of PM you want to do. But uh, you know, short answer to like what set great PM uh, uh, good PM uh, and great, great great PM apart. I think if I had to give one uh, answer, that could be an ownership because if you're really passionate and really try to own the things you do or own the metric you want to boost, then it drives you to uh, like really improve yourself and learning all the things you need to learn and fill the gap and. Uh, uh, maybe it's like also try. Uh, it also uh, helps you to understand yourself a little bit more. How to how how can I leverage what I have to really uh, 
really try to contribute to the product I want to build or try to contribute to the metrics that I want to boost. So uh, PM is not actually nine to five job. It's actually 24 hours. You have to constantly thinking about things. You have to be passionate about things. So it's really uh, tied back to the, let's say the PM is an entrepreneurship type of guy. So that kind of stereotypes really, it's, it does have a certain truth in that. You have to be really passionate about it about an idea or a product and then constantly thinking about it, then uh, you push yourself to deliver that. So that makes you a great PM, no matter for like what kind of PM you want to be. Yeah, I like that uh, a lot. When you ask people, what is a product manager? You're probably going to get a thousand different answers because there are different types of product managers and depending on the organization, depending on the jobs, setup of the team or where they need to be for the maturity of the organization or the product. You could be a product innovator that is trying to set up um, a zero to one product. Then your skill set would be very different. And so you need to know what is expected from you or what is required to bring the product to the next level. You could be a technical product person that is looking at a platform specific, maybe building APIs for the rest of the organization. You could be um, user experience focused because your app really need to delight the customer and the functionality are there, but people don't know how to use it or people are not engaged. So you need to understand what is required and what's your passion, what is your strength, find that sweet spot and so that you could be excellent. You know, don't just be anyone else, follow everyone else, then you could only be good so in order to be great, you need to know what is your superpower. You need to know what is your special ingredients that you could add to it. So I would say it's a personal journey more like than anything else. So define your own path. Yeah, that's it's a really nice thought. You know, what are your strengths? I think coming, you know, my background from strategy, I think in the current economic climate, your product strategy is incredibly important. Like right now, you know, cheap funding for tech's dried up. And if you're... If you're doing a, a you know zero to one product, then yeah, you've got to be able to work out what's going to make your your, your product sticky. You know, is it the user experience? Is it the design? Is it the the, the technical abilities that lie behind it? You've got to get to that fast. But if anyone's working in a product space that's got revenue generation, then you've got to get to profitability. And you know, for, for great product managers, they should have proof proof of what they've done has made an impact. Um, so you know and that can be quite you know that can be quite tricky if you're still working on a on a product that's just starting up but every time you know you're, you're working on a great product like what's the proof that we're shifting the needle find out you know what's the metric that we have but yeah if you are working on something that's revenue generating and it's not generating profit and it can't get to profit i think what would make a great product manager versus a good product manager is someone who's like you know what this isn't working it's never going to work i'm going to walk away and find something that will and you know that this that being able to say this is not successful, we are going to walk away from this is a, is a really great sign of a leader that's like you know this isn't this is not the way to go, um, and keeping on throwing money at it is not going to solve it. Yeah, I think all the answers you guys have are different but equally valid, right? I think the question that does come on a lot of my podcasts as well is you know what makes a good or what defines a good PM, but the answer is always different. I think until recently, no one could tell me the exact word for word answer on what a product manager responsibility or function is, right? Because there's so many different value adds in each product manager is what makes a team, right? So, yeah, interesting to hear from you guys. I think a lot of the questions that we got from our our viewers are also how to get into 
the, the industry, I think one of that was as a marketer, you know, if I wanted to move into product marketing, you know, or what skill sets and or qualifications would I need? Uh, I think the, uh, when you want to uh, like switch from uh, uh, like other area or other sector to product management, it's always crucial to understand yourself uh, uh, and what you can bring to the table at current stage. And if not something significant you can bring to the table, then maybe uh, what you want to bring, what could be like brought to the table in the future. So um, it is that like the best job is always uh, like overlap between uh, what you get paid for, what you enjoy doing and what you are good at, right? So, uh, and it's also applied to product management. And if you want to switch to product management, uh, you have to ask yourself what experience and skill set prepares you better for, uh, for product management role. Uh, so if, for example, you come from marketing, then maybe you uh, want to look at particularly maybe marketing tab, right? Like the, all those like, uh, like CMS and even like uh, marketing specific uh, internet products that you can provide your or learn your experience to work. Or um, then you probably can look uh, research about the companies and the opportunity in that particular sector, right? Whether uh, there is something you, you feel like fit you better. So this is one approach. Like, find the industry sector which is uh, uh, like overlap of product management and the uh, past experience or current experience uh, you uh, have. Another way is probably find some role adjacent to product manager. So for example, product man- marketing manager or like, uh, like product lead, uh, maybe uh, go-to-market lead, right? So this, this kind of role uh, involve like marketing, but also certain element of product management that you probably can find uh, yourself in a sweet spot because you have passion about product management, you have curiosity, but you also have some solid background in marketing. So you can find this kind of role like to add a transition for, for you to move from one to particular role to product management. Um, so I feel like uh, um, often it's an ideal case you can find something, but a lot of time you don't find the the, the opportunity you look for at the particular moment, then uh, it's always like you can always um, prepare yourself better with uh, uh, education, like podcasts or like a training. But uh, one risk is like those uh, education or training that too general. It's, uh, it can tell you what to do to become product manager, but doesn't really set you apart uh, during the interview stage. So uh, something you can always add on is do some moonlighting, I'll do some of the self-start ideas. So if there is no opportunity, no company doing what I think would be interesting uh, to do and I can do it, why don't I just do it myself, right? So I can probably doing some uh, moonlighting job or like uh, work with friends on some startup ideas or even writing a business plan. All those I think kind of work prepare you better to be a uh, to be a product management uh, professional or a leader in the future. So this is something uh, I think could help. I like this question a lot because, you know, product marketing was, was my gig and, and um, you know, I've, I came across from strategic marketing and I've worked with classic marketers as well. And I think it's actually a really smart move to go as, as a marketer. Like you're almost partway there because you as a product marketer should be the voice of the customer. You should be an expert on your customer in your organisation. So, and that, you know, if that comes down to, you know, building things like value propositions and, and messaging kits and messaging matrices, so you should be able to know 
what each customer's pain points are, what benefits your product offers, and you should be able to articulate that in a really clear way. And marketers are already partway there because that's you know kind of what you've been doing for some time. But to add on to that, because it's all about the go-to-market plan and strategy, so you've got to be able to enable your sales team. Um, if you don't have a sales team or if you do have a sales team, start going to talk to them and see what matters to customers because they're such a valuable source. And how can you be then beneficial to a salesperson? Well, you know, you come up with the pitch decks for them. You come up with sales enablement materials like battle cards and win-not-loss analysis and competitive analysis. And you just, you just distill it down to little succinct ways that they can use when they go and talk to you know your customers. But you've also got to get those feedback loops. And I think if you're going to accelerate adoption around products, you've really got to get a good handle on digital on on um, analytics because unless you understand you know, how all the things that you're creating are, you're impacting your customer and feeding back into whether or not your product is successful or being adopted, you know, that's what you need to know. So, yeah, I think marketers have got a really good opportunity to, to move into product management and, yeah, sorry, product marketing. Go research it. I'm writing a book on it at the moment. It's been a long time coming and I'll still keep writing it because I still see there's big demand for it. Yeah, and I think we, we also have another question that I think is pretty, I would say similar. I think these two questions just look pretty similar. And it's more of, you know, how to get a role in product management if you're in a completely different industry, right, and role, which I also find to be one of a struggle when I hear people say, yeah, I want to move into product management and currently I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm a retail, I'm a real estate agent or something like that, right? And, and I see only like the FANG companies that are willing to train someone from ground up, right, but not really... No one comes to me in, with a limited budget and go like, hey, yeah, I'll train this guy from no experience to a product manager. So, yeah, I see limited kind of um, opportunities to move up as a PM as someone from a completely different industry. I mean, what do you guys suggest or any, any advice for people who are looking to move? I mean, besides, of course, joining something that's relevant, yeah. right? I would, I would ask the first question, ask yourself why. Why do you want to do a product manager mm-hmm. what actually makes you excited uh of, of being in that role do you know what you're getting into because it's not going to be easy <laughs> yeah, right. in some way, right um so uh, do you know what you're getting into why do you want to get there do you have are there any baby steps you can take in order to bridge the gap just like what lizzie was suggesting are there any courses that you could take to actually figure out what is your capability gaps what you can add value um, and then kind of map that out. In my cur- earlier career life, I had made my switch many, many times. Um, but that also come, you need to get yourself ready. So when the opportunity comes, you are ready to grab it. You know, whether it's moving across in an organization from one role to the other, or when you want to make a switch to another organization, what value could you add? For example, I can give an example. For example, I was a developer when I was with a startup um, creating data product. Then they needed QA people. I said, I can do that because I, I'm already writing test cases and why not? Then I find it very boring or I was like, okay, I've done everything I could and I think I, I can elevate it more. I move into pre-sales because I could set up the environment and set up the demo in order to make the sales. Then eventually I move into a more a BA role because I could speak to the customer. So you need to understand what 
fix what you enjoy doing, continue to find those interesting things to work on, then it will lead to a role that you will be passionate and happy about them just because there's a title, because that sounds so interesting that you want to go into then. And you try to find a way that may work for you, but you, you do need to validate whether uh, that is right path. Yeah, I want to add on that. It's very important to understand why you want to do it. Like a certain kind of a creating or uh, like the, the process of creation. Or uh, it's uh, something you just like it about the title or it's uh, particularly you want to build a product for yourself. Right. So those answers can actually give you multiple options, just not like probably not necessarily to be a product manager. You can you can do a lot of things with your current role or like even uh, do something additional, but maybe not a product manager in a, another company. And a second question, I, I I think you can think about it like, I, are you willing to take the pay card? So yeah, you're we'll probably already a very established leader in another experience that in another industry. Then are you willing to suffer economically to be a junior PM in another industry? Uh, and if you're willing to do that, I feel like you can always find something like, but you may not be satisfied. It's not really the prestigious, prestigious job you are looking for, but it could be like very uh, manual labor as a junior PM or even PM intern. But it's something you're you're really looking for. So uh, think about your options and think about the sacrifice you can make. Okay, yeah. So. Uh... Before we end, I have one last question. I think this is just more, this is just more of a um, you know interest kind of question. And I think I do hear this from a lot of I guess younger product managers, and they're like, oh, they're like AI is going to take over our jobs, and now we're gonna you know lose our job. We can't, like I've heard this so many times, but also heard the other side, you know, how AI actually makes your job so much easier, how you can write a lot of requirements and things like that using AI. So I just want to openly ask, you know, like has AI impacted? Positively, you know, how how do you use AI to kind of aid your product management function? Yeah, <laughs> it's like yes. <laughs> I think everyone. Yeah, yeah, uh, we do. Yeah, we use it extensively here at Construct. You know, we're doing weekly training to upskill everyone. We're expected to experiment and see what works. Um, largely, I see it as a productivity tool. It's about making you more efficient with your time. Uh, just, I think it's staggering how much the tools have matured over the last, even just the last three months. Um, you know, ChatGPT four is certainly a big advance of what it was with, with with three, and certainly, you know, yeah, it can churn out a strategy for you. But I think one of the challenges challenges that that I've faced is that, well, I know what good looks like because I've got twenty years of experience behind me. So when I ask, you know, and I'm experimenting with, you know, creating strategy and creating insights and I can put a filter through it to know if it's, you know, if, if it's good or not. Um, but I think if you're younger and you don't have that experience, sure, you can create something, but what's your benchmark for whether this is good? And just because it's being generated in AI and it's, you know, it can be addictive because it's so conversational, it just sounds so right that you think it might be. Um, so I think that's one of the challenges that you face. And I've heard, you know, well, we're not going to have any genius anymore, but at the same time, I've heard, well, it actually upskills genius much quicker than what was previous. So I think it's a really interesting space. And um, if you're not over it yet, into it, then you definitely have to be because it's either get on board or get left behind. Uh, to me, I feel like uh, AI in, uh, like, you know, product management probably can be uh, seen in three aspects. First, like, uh, you can definitely use AI to take over certain kind of a uh, 
we'll say execution、uh, work for product managers. Just I found out it's very useful to ask uh, uh, ask those chat GPT to provide、uh, certain kind of research,、uh, and even it can help you to write certain type of document as well. Uh, if it, you provide a format and specification and what you want,、um, another thing is like、uh, integrated AI with your existing workflow. For example, if your、uh, workflow involves a lot of、uh, say re- repetitive work, for example, creating images,、uh, creating design that you need to use in your product features, then you can actually ask AI to do it. Then later build a, a AI powered flow workflow. To make your say your, your product run much faster or like the internal development work much smoother.、Um, the third aspect, actually, the most interesting one is building product or product features uh, uh, based on AI or around the AI. So, for example, it's a AI conversation uh, feature uh, to help、um, your customer to uh, like. Uh, uh, That your customer receive answer like provided by AI instead of like、uh, CS people, or、uh, maybe provide some conversation、uh, bot for your customer to make them feel like more say socially connected. So, but I think it's,、uh, when it comes to building product product features around AI,、uh, it's important to understand the boundary and kind of potential risks. It's not necessarily like、uh, it's a positive experience for your customer. Um, and especially the AI could give a lot of the invalid information. Or、uh, they try to mimic human, but、uh, whatever they provide may not really、uh, replace a human-like、uh, experience. So、uh, it's something we need to be very watchful about.、Mm. Absolutely, I agree. Everything here to add on. For example, AI can tell you what happened in the past, and based on your prompt, it will give you the answer. But if your prompt It's incomplete or inaccurate, or the way you ask the question isn't clear enough. You it will lead to a very wrong answer. So it's also a technique and skills, I would say,、um, to learn to interact with AI so that you can optimize it. And the ability to figure out what's not right is probably going to take some time as well. So I would say AI. It's, it's I agree that AI. Is, Only to help us expedite our ability to finish certain tasks and come up with more creative solution, but it doesn't replace human and product manager role because it's so complex and we need to take in a lot of different information. And how do you fit those different information to the AI so that it expedites the outcome? It's gonna be what we need to do next, so it's gonna be very exciting. All right, yeah. So that's the last question, and also all the time we have for today. A huge thank you to all the speakers for joining us and sharing your knowledge and insights on today's hot topic. And thank you to our lovely audience for listening to us and asking such relevant questions. We hope this episode has helped to install confidence in women or anyone who's looking or either thinking about pursuing a career in product management, or maybe just simply looking to level up in their current role.、Um, we'll see you all next time where we discuss another hot topic on the evolution exchange. Bye, and see you guys. <laughs>